All right, this is um, chapter 19. We're going to be talking about pathogenic gram-positive bacteria. Um, and the genera that we're going to be discussing include Staphylococcus, Streptococcus, Enterococcus, Bacillus, Clostridium, Listeria, <clears throat> Listeria, Mycoplasmas, Carinibacterium, Mycobacterium, Propionibacterium, Endocardia, and Actinomyces. Now, some of these tell you these names just tell you a bit about the organisms themselves. So we already know we're talking about gram positives, right? Um, these are the genus names. So like Staphylococcus, that does inform you about cell shape and arrangement, but these are the gen genus names. So they should be written if you're typing in italics. If you're handwriting, it should be underlined. Um, and that first letter should be a capital, okay? Um, so that's how you know if you're looking at a genus name or if you're looking at the descriptor of the cellular morphology, okay? All right, so Staphylococcus, uh, as we said, this is gram-positive. They are spherical cells that typically occur in clusters. They are facultative anaerobic bacteria. Um, they are salt-tolerant as well as tolerant to desiccation, that's drying out, radiation, and heat. Now those things make sense because they are part of our normal flora and they're generally found, um, in, among other places, on our skin. So our skin is a fairly salty environment. It's fairly dry. It's exposed to sunlight, radiation, um, and it can get warm. So Staphylococcus also produces catalase, um, and we're going to talk about two important species, Staphylococcus aureus. Aureus implies this goldenness, and if you grow the, these, um, these colonies, they are a kind of goldy yellow color. And S. epidermidis, which is not goldy and yellow, it's, um, it's kind of a off-white color. Okay, so, um... These are part of our normal flora, but they can cause infections. Um, we got really creative with the naming here, and they, they can cause staph infections. Okay? Um, and those staph infections, they can happen when the barriers are breached, and it doesn't take a very large inoculum or, or introduction, the amount that's being introduced um, of bacteria to cause these infections. There are three things, big things, that lend to pathogenicity of Staphylococcus. These include structural defenses against phagocytosis, um, enzymes, and toxins. Now, some of the structural defenses, um, S. aurea produces something called protein A. That's actually going to bind the stem or the bottom part of IgG and keep it from being able to do its job. There's also a membrane-bound coagulase that can cause blood clots, and there is a slime layer. Now, all of those things together are going to disrupt phagocytosis of that bacteria. Okay, so binding the stem of IgG is going to interfere with opsonization. If it can make a clot, it can hide behind this barrier of it's supposed to be here stuff, and a slime layer can make it slippery. Um, so enzymes that it can produce, they, it can make a cell-free coagulase, hyal hyaluronidase, staphylokinase, lipase, 
and beta-lactamase. So beta-lactamase may also be called penicillinase, and it's going to interfere with penicillin. Um, toxins include cytolytic toxins. So cytolytic, it's going to lyse cells. Um, and several organisms that we're going to talk about have some sort of ability to lyse cells. So the reason that they would want to do that, so cells are full of nutrients, okay? Um, and just, you know, yummy stuff for the bacteria to get a hold of, as well as potentially use to evade things. Um, SREs can also produce X or staph can also produce exfoliative toxins. These are going to cause a sloughing off of the skin, as well as toxic shock syndrome toxin and enterotoxins. Um, so they are normal flora. They're found on our skin. They're found in the upper respiratory, the GI tract, and the urogenital tracts. Um, they can cause non-invasive diseases like food poisoning, cutaneous diseases, um, which cause pyogenic lesions. Um, examples of that might be scalded skin syndrome, impetigo, or folliculitis. Um, and they can cause systemic diseases. So one of those is toxic shock syndrome, non-streptococcal. So Spoiler alert, streptococcus can also cause toxic shock syndrome. Um, toxic shock syndrome is characterized by fever, vomiting, red rash, extremely low blood pressure, and as well as loss of sheets of skin, which just sounds lovely. And that can be um, pretty intense and it can be fatal. Um, staph can also cause bacteremia, which is what's which is a term for there being bacteria in the blood. Um, another term that might fit there would be sepsis. Um, it can cause endocarditis, which is where it's attacking the heart. It can cause pneumonia, and if it gets into the bones, it can cause osteomyelitis. Um, unfortunately, there is some antibiotic resistance, or there's a lot of antibiotic resistance in Staphylococcus. Um, so around 1945, about 90% of strains were susceptible, and we're talking about SREs here. Um, about 90% of the strains were susceptible to penicillin, um, so they used a lot of penicillin. Well, what that did is it selected for penicillin-resistant strains. Um, so fast forward to the modern day, about 5% of strains are susceptible to penicillin. So we started using methicillin. Well, same thing happened. We got methicillin resistance. So when you have methicillin resistance, staph aureus, it's called MRSA or MRSA. So to treat MRSA, we used vancomycin, and now we're seeing vancomycin resistant staph aureus. Um, luckily, Staph can be um, one of the best ways to prevent transmission of staph is washing hands, okay? Um, so the next organism we're going to talk about, the next genus, is Streptococcus. This is termed a diverse assemblage of gram-positive cocci that are generally arranged in pairs or in chains. They are catalase-negative. And they are facultatively anaerobic. 
Now, within the genus, there are different schemes of organizing strains. Um, one of the, the these is the Lancefield groupings, and they're denoted by a letter. But it's not inclusive of all strains. But the Lancefield group includes things like group A, Streptococcus. A big player here would be Streptococcus pyogenes. Um, they are beta hemolytic, and the pathogenic strains have a capsule. They have antiphagocytic properties. Um, they can produce an M protein and a hyaluronic acid capsule. They can also cause and break down clots with streptokinase. They have pyrogenic toxins, so pyrogenic. It's going to cause a fever. Um, and then they also have enzymes and toxins that will lyse blood cells, both red blood cells and white blood cells. Um, they generally infect the pharynx or the skin, um, but they typically only cause disease if the microbiota are depleted or the adaptive immune response is impaired or if there's a very large inoculum that allows them to just get a foothold in a hurry um, and get started. Diseases associated with group A strep include pharyngitis, which we commonly call strep throat, scarlet fever, rheumatic fever, pyoderma, erysipelas, and cellulitis. Um, and they can cause the streptococcal toxic shock syndrome. Um, and then Group A strep is also associated with necrotizing fasciitis, which is the flesh-eating disease. Um, that's an aggressive infection that requires fast and aggressive response. Um, usually that's surgical to just stop the progression of the infection. Um, there are rapid strep tests that are useful in things like strep throat or scarlet fever. Um, and these organisms you generally can be treated with penicillin. Um, within the Lancefield group, we're also going to talk about group B strep. This um, is also known as S. agalactiae. These are also beta hemolytic. They're also basitracin resistant. Um, they do have a capsule, but it's not necessarily protective and they secrete multiple enzymes. They are normally occurring in our lower GI genital or urinary tracts, but they're medically important in newborns. They can cause pretty severe problems in newborns. So newborns could be inoculated during birth um, or fairly soon after, and if, if the infection shows up within the first week following birth, it's early onset, after a week, up to three months, um, it's late onset. It can cause neonatal bacteremia, meningitis, or pneumonia. And it occurs in about three out of every 1,000 newborns in the U.S. Um, it is treatable with pen penicillin or ampicillin, and if the mom is known to be colonized, the CDC recommends a prophylactic, prophylactic dose of penicillin in those babies. Um, another grouping of streptococcus is the viridens group, um, and these are alpha hemolytic. 
So beta hemolytic means that there is a total digestion of blood when these organisms are grown on a blood agar plate. Alpha hemolytic indicates a partial digestion and there's like a green snotty looking culture. There's a green pigment that's produced. Um, these, the viridins group is normally found in the human mouth, pharynx, GI, urinary, and general, genital tracts. Um, the human mouth and pharynx ones are associated with dental caries, which causes cavities. They can also make a biofilm. Um, now these guys are not highly invasive, but if they do manage to get into the blood, they can cause problems like um, meningitis and endocarditis. The next set we're going to talk about is S. pneumoniae. Um, these get kind of a special little name. They're called pneumococci. There are approximately 92 strains of pneumococci that can infect humans. They are alpha hemolytic and they are not part of the Lancefield group either. Um, they are normally a part of the pharyngeal, pharyngeal microbiota. Virulent strains produce a polysaccharide capsule and phosphorocholine in their cell wall, and that allows them to hide inside of host cells. They also have adhesins that allow them to attach to epithelial cells. They can uh, secrete a protease that's gonna degrade IgA. Um, and they also have something called pneumolysin, which is going to cause lysis of cells in the lung. Um, they're associated with pneumococcal pneumonia, um, sinusitis, which is sinus infection, otitis, it's an ear infection, uh, bacteremia, they can uh, hurt the heart with endocarditis, um, and they can also cause pneumococcal meningitis. So meningitis is inflammation of the membranes around the brain and spinal cord. Um, they are penicillin resistant, or there's an increase of penicillin resistance in them, um, but there are other antibiotics that can be used. Um, but there's also a vaccine. So in this case, maybe an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, there's a vaccine against the 23 most common strains. All right, so next we're gonna talk about Enterococcus. Um, so this genus includes, um, again, gram-positive. These are catalase negative. They are non-hemolytic, and they are normal members of the intestinal flora. They are spherical, um, and they are arranged in short chains or in pairs. They do not have a capsule, so they are unencapsulated. Um, they can grow in temperatures up to about 45 degrees Celsius under alkaline conditions. They are salt and bile salt tolerant. Um, two medically important species include Ephacalus, which is ubiquitous, meaning it occurs always. It's always there. It's everywhere. Um, it's ubiquitous in the human colon. Um, and Ephacium, which is less common. They have a few virulence factors. They can adhere to epithelial cells and they can produce bacteriosins. Um, they generally don't cause a problem until they're introduced somewhere that they shouldn't be, like the lung 
the urinary tract, or the bloodstream. All right, the next genus we're going to talk about is Bacillus. There are around 51 species. These are gram-positive, endospore-forming rods. So they are Bacillus. If you, if you were guessing that the genus Bacillus included Bacillus-shaped bacteria, you would be right. Um, the one we're going to talk about there is Bacillus anthracis. It is not the only medically relevant bacillus, um, but we're going to talk about it. Um, it is pathogenic to both animals and humans. These are large bacterial cells. They are endospore forming. They are rod shaped and they are facultative anaerobes. They are normally found in the soil. The endospore, with its tough external coat and internal chemicals, do allow it to um, resist harsh environments and survive. That's a major component of it being a pathogen. Um, now, the vegetative cells, so when they're coming out of being an endospore, um, they are going to have an antiphagocytic capsule, and they make toxins. So the anthrax toxin is actually three polypeptides that work together and are lethal to cells. There are three ways to introduce anthrax, three ways you, it gets introduced, and then there are three manifestations of disease. Um, the three ways that it can be introduced are ingestion, inhalation, and inoculation of a wound. The three manifestations are gastrointestinal anthrax, inhalation anthrax, and cutaneous anthrax. The next genus is Clostridium. These are anaerobic, gram-positive, and spore-forming. They are ubiquitous in soil, water, sewage, and the GI tract. Um, pathogenesis is due to being able to form an endospore, as well as secreting various toxins. Um, there are a number of medically important clostridiums. Um, one that is increasingly important in healthcare settings is clostridium difficile. Um, another one is clostridium botulinum. Clostridium botulinum secretes a neurotoxin. It will bind irreversibly to neurons and prevent the release of acetylcholine. That prevents the contraction of muscles. Um, it can uh, exist as a foodborne illness, pediatric, or wound. Clostridium perfringens is another medically relevant species. It is associated with gas gangrene, and it produces something like 11 toxins. Clostridium tetani is the causative agent of tetanus. It uh, produces tetanospasmin as its toxin, which will lead to uncontrolled muscle contraction. So it starts um, usually in the neck and jaw area, which gives the colloquial name of lockjaw. Um, but if it's allowed to progress, it will eventually cause a contraction of the diaphragm. So the patient will be unable to exhale and they will suffocate in that way. 
The next genus we're going to talk about is Listeria. These are gram-positive bacillus. They are rarely cause disease or are rarely symptomatic in healthy adults, but infections in fetuses, newborns, the elderly, and immunocompromised patients can be severe. It can cause meningitis, and it can cause death. In pregnant, pregnant women, it can cause premature birth, miscarriage, stillbirth, or meningitis of the newborn. The next genus we're going to talk about are the mycoplasmas. These are the smallest free-living bacteria. Um, they are considered free-living, but they do generally need a osmotically protected space, which the inside of a eukaryotic cell provides. Um, and they need that because they lack a cell wall. Um, they also lack cytochromes. They, are, they can be associated with human disease. Mycoplasma pneumoniae um, is associated with what's called walking pneumonia. This is an atypical pneumonia. Um, and mycoplasma hominis is associated with pelvic inflammatory disease. The next genus we're going to talk about is Corinibacterium. These organisms have a high GC content. They are pleomorphic, meaning they have a varied shape that the cells can take. They are non-endospore forming. They are associated with diphtheria. So Corinibacterium diphtheriae is the causative agent of diphtheria. Um, this is a disease that we don't really think that much about anymore, but in the olden days, um, it did kill a lot of people. Um, and one of the things that it can do is that it, you, form, you can form a pseudomembrane and then it can kind of cut off your airway. Um, nowadays, we don't worry about it so much because we have a vaccine for it. So it's part of the DTaP series for, um, for little ones. Um, so the vaccine schedule for DTaP is 2, 4, 6, 18, and 60 months of age followed by boosters at 11 or 12 with the Tdap and then the TD every 10 years. So the, the diphtheria vaccine is usually put together with the tetanus and pertussis vaccines. Okay, so the next one we're going to talk about is mycobacterium. Um, a couple of important ones here are Mycobacterium tuberculosis, which is the causative agent of tuberculosis, which used to be known as consumption. Um, it only causes disease in about 5% of infections, but if those infections are untreated, it's fatal about 50% of the time. Um, worldwide, it's estimated that three people per minute die from, t from TB. It's not that prevalent in the United States anymore, but it's still, worldwide, it's still a problem. Um, and it's increasingly problematic because there is drug resistance um, in TB. It already takes a set of fairly harsh antibiotics to treat tuberculosis. Um, and then on top of that, we have multi-drug resistant there's extremely drug-resistant, and now there's totally drug-resistant strains.
Um, another mycobacterium that's medically important is micro, mycobacterium leprae, and that causes leprosy. Um, and that is consistently declining worldwide. Um, the next genus is Propionobacterium. Um, this is an organism that is associated with acne. Um, these are small anaerobic rods that live in the oil glands and cause acne. And finally, we're going to talk about Nocardia and Actinomyces. Both of these resemble um, fungal hyphae. Nocardia is acid fast. It's associated with pneumonia and cutaneous infections. Actinomyces is non-acid fast. And it's associated with um, dental caries. And if it is introduced through breaks in the mucosal membranes, it can cause actinomycosis, which causes uh, abscesses. Okay.